Thanks for downloading Making Waves from the University of Portsmouth. I'm Trudy Monk, and in my day job, I champion and support the incredible alumni of our university. We're really proud of our graduate community and how they're making their mark and finding solutions to global challenges. These interviews showcase how our alumni are making positive changes in their businesses, communities and careers. In this first series, we're focusing on the environment. What our alumni are doing in this space goes hand in hand with what the university is doing to ensure an environmentally sustainable future, including making the bold commitment to being climate positive by 2030. By empowering our community and coming together, we know we can make a huge difference. In this episode, my colleague John Worsey speaks to Ian Vincent about his work developing autonomous underwater vehicles, otherwise known as robot submarines. But what difference can these machines make to the environment? I think we've got some really massive, massive challenges going on at the moment with the way humans uh, impact the, the world we live in. The marine part of our world, you know, the kind of underwater bit is, what, 70% of planet Earth. This is Making Waves. So I'm with Portsmouth alum Ian Vincent. Ian, thank you uh, for agreeing to take part in this. Now, you graduated from Portsmouth 10 years ago, back in 2010. What are you doing with your life today? Uh, yeah, so 10 years have passed since uh, I graduated. Uh, I joined Planet Ocean back in uh, 2012. So first couple of years was really kind of spent uh, trying to uh, trying to find the right opportunity really yeah. to uh, to move into the marine science field. Having completed my marine environmental science degree at uh, Portsmouth, uh, I did some consultancy work for uh, for a short while. Uh, just really to, to kind of tread water. Mm -hmm. uh, when I joined Planet Ocean, I, uh, I started as a business development and sales manager uh, for the company. Yeah. Uh, part of that kind of drew very much on my past background. I was actually a mature student. I think I was around about 28 when I started and had been working in the veterinary sector for about 12 years. Ah. Uh, kind of latter part of that was very kind of uh, sales focused. I've worked in pharmaceutical distribution and um, corporate veterinary practice management, uh, so quite uh, quite kind of heavily commercial roles. Mm. So, uh, yeah, Planet Ocean gave me the opportunity to really take everything I'd done uh, during my time at Portsmouth, uh, the kind of science background, uh, the understanding of the marine environment, uh, and apply that to a commercial role, which obviously drew on some of the uh, the, the kind of uh, experiences I'd had prior to uh, prior to doing the degree. Yes. Uh, the, the company effectively provides uh, marine science instrumentation for kind of research institutes, universities, uh, the oil and gas sector, kind of offshore energy, uh, defence markets as well. Yeah. So it's providing uh, in situ technology sensors to measure a kind of variety of parameters like salinity, temperature, uh, nutrients in the water, uh, various kind of biogeochemical properties. Uh, so yeah, that was what I was doing for a couple of years. Uh, during, uh, I think it was around about 2013, 2014, I got involved in a project uh, which was collaborating with the National Oceanography Centre in Southampton. 
we were setting up an Innovate UK uh, proposal to look at developing uh, low-cost, small form factor, uh, autonomous underwater vehicle technologies. Uh, and that kind of really took my role in a slightly different direction uh, from just a more kind of sales-focused role to also leading and, uh, and developing uh, R&D programs uh, in, uh, in kind of high-tech areas, which was, uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, we got quite a lot of funding for that. We also got some support from BP, uh, who were kind of part funded a project we worked on as well. Uh, and of kind of reaching the, the end of that R and D phase now, as we look to work to commercialize and, uh, and actually market these vehicles that we've been developing. Uh, I got appointed as a director of, uh, the company EcoSub Robotics, which was a spin out from planet ocean. So I now kind of wear two hats with inside the organization. I bet that's quite interesting switching between the two then what's that yeah. what's that like as an experience for you how do you find the balance between the two different facets of your your two different roles uh it's challenging <laughs> effectively <laughs> two full-time jobs that uh, yeah. I have to do uh but no it's uh, it, it works reasonably well uh we're well connected uh, we have good IT systems uh and uh and I work with a, a good team as well a lot of the stuff I do on EcoSub Robotics is kind of leadership and it's uh, strategic direction, managing programs, uh, looking after engineering teams. Uh, I'm not physically doing the work. I'm not kind of putting stuff together and, uh, and building things. And that's uh, sure. that's quite nice to be able to kind of take that helicopter role, sit down and kind of uh, look at what's going on and, uh, and figuring out what direction we're taking. Yeah. Uh, so that works, uh, works quite well. But no, it's, uh, it's challenging. Um, Obviously, both in the same sectors, that the technologies are doing quite similar things. Mm. One effectively is a platform for the for the sensor products that we also work with on Planet Ocean. So, uh, a lot of the time, it's looking at how we can integrate those sensor technologies into a moving platform, which yeah. uh, effectively controls itself autonomously. So, uh, mm. it's good. We get to spend quite a lot of time out on the water. Uh, charter vessels quite often go out and run trials uh, to spend quite a lot of time at sea. Uh, actually kind of running the, the, the testing and trials programs that, uh, that we operate. You gave us a flavour um, earlier on in terms of the kinds of things that the technology measures in the water, the kind of information that it can, that it can gather and provide. Um, could you give us a sense of, of how that's used? I don't know whether you can go into detail of who your customers might be, but you know what, what sort of outcomes uh, does this tech that, that Planet Ocean develops uh, lead to um, whether we focus particularly on the autonomous uh, and auto vehicles or, or on the, the broader technology platform I'll leave up to you but it'd be interesting to just kind of dive into that a little bit. Uh, yeah we work with uh, quite a diverse range of, of customers uh, and partners as well. Uh, we serve a lot of the or all of the, the UK-based research institutes uh, with EcoSub we're now working more globally uh, so the likes of, of National Oceanography Centre, although they're also a kind of a collaboration partner, uh, they're also an end user as well. So they're, uh, they're taking this technology out and, uh, and using it uh, for their global uh, ocean science campaigns. Uh, we're working with people like the Scottish Association of Marine Science, Plymouth Marine Laboratories, uh, a lot of the universities which have uh, marine science departments are using our technology and uh, 
and working with us. We also serve other markets as well. So offshore energy is, is one of the, uh, the, the key areas uh, looking at, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the, the operators will need to measure various parameters and understand their impact on the environment. Uh, they'll have kind of consultants providing services to uh, to ensure they're not uh, doing anything detrimental to, uh, to the marine environment. Uh, Defence is, is quite a big area, particularly with the eco-sub robotics. Uh, there are lots of applications where that technology can be used to improve things like anti-submarine warfare, uh, mines, countermeasure uh, warfare as well. So uh, there's quite a lot that, uh, that, that we get involved with in, mm. in that side of things now. Uh, but it's quite it's quite diverse. Uh, we rarely see the same thing twice on a, a single day. Uh, lots of different things actually going on with with various customers and, and partners. Uh, a lot of the people we work with are are kind of global as well. So, in terms of the the sensor tech of Planet Ocean, we work with most of that comes from uh, in, comes from uh, uh, particularly US based companies. Uh-huh. Uh, so, sorry, I said a little interruption there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. uh, yeah, a lot of that uh, that tech comes from uh, particularly US companies, but also some European partners as well. So, uh, we work across uh, quite a few different time zones. Um, you mentioned defence, and I, I can sort of imagine how having uh, an autonomous vehicle um is is obviously you know there's a there's a human safety component that comes in there in terms of the uh, advantage of kind of patrolling the seas and and looking out for uh, dangerous obstacles but in terms of the science side uh, gathering information on water quality and so on what are the advantages for you know for your customers conceivably of having an autonomous vehicle as opposed to uh, a more traditional platform for that technology for those systems yeah, so a lot of it starts around cost. Uh, yeah. Research vessels are phenomenally expensive to run. Uh, yeah. If you're uh, a national institution, you're probably looking at around about twenty to thirty thousand pounds a day to run a, a decent sized research vessel. Uh, if you're operating in offshore energy, then the, the, the charter rates for that type of uh, uh, vessel can run up to kind of two hundred thousand dollars per day. Mm. Uh, so there's a massive advantage in in reducing the uh, the time you actually spend on on large vessels uh, deployed to uh, to take measurements. There's also the kind of spatial resolution that you can get uh, if you have a research vessel that's deploying traditional CTD equipment, so taking water samples and uh, and measuring from a fixed point then you're very limited to how many times you can stop in the ocean and do that. Mm. Uh, The the actual kind of, if you look at how many data points are collected in the vastness of the oceans that that cover the globe, it's tiny. It's absolutely kind of ridiculously small amount of data that we're looking at and making some very big assumptions, particularly if you look at things like climate science, Mm. uh, the models that are being derived from, uh, uh, from the marine inputs are are significant, uh, and the data that we've got is very good, but it's based on very limited number of samples. Yes. The nice thing with autonomy is you can expand its capability for a relatively low cost. Uh, so a lot of our work is is based on kind of uh, micro AUV technology. So these are very small vehicles that we can reduce the cost of. The traditional AUVs may be somewhere in the region of kind of. 500,000 to uh, to 2 million pounds per system. Uh, we're developing systems that range in cost between kind of 10 and 20,000 pounds. 
So you can be sticking a hundred or two hundred of these units out for the right. same kind of cost that you would have done traditionally with uh, with a much larger system. Uh, so when you start deploying 20, 30, 40, 50 or 100 of these vehicles in one go, you can suddenly sample much much larger areas of Mm. of the ocean and get much greater spatial coverage, more data points, better information to feed into models and uh, and better outcomes for science and then kind of society in general. Uh, I think there's an an enormous amount we can actually do by increasing the amount of data that, uh, that, that we can get from the oceans. Uh, that's very much kind of the driving force behind what we're actually doing at the moment. Right, so potentially a real step change then in terms of our understanding of the ocean simply by being able to deploy, as you say, a large kind of fleet, if you like, of these uh, autonomous vehicles rather than sending one large vessel out with uh, a bunch of scientists. Absolutely, absolutely. And a great example actually is uh, the, the unfortunate incident with the Malaysian Air uh, aircraft that uh, that went down, um, oh, yes. Airlines aircraft yeah. uh, that went down over the Indian Ocean. Yeah, the the one where they just literally had no idea where it was. Uh, they were sticking research vessels out there to try and locate it. They were using autonomous vehicles, but they had like one, maybe two mm. uh, AUVs in the water at, the, at that point. They had twenty days or something to find that thing before the batteries ran out, uh, and it was like a needle in a haystack. Yeah. Uh, with the technology that we've been kind of developing uh, for the same kind of hardware cost as, as they were using, you could have had 200 vehicles in the water, each with a pinger. Uh, the amount of area you could have covered would have been vastly mm. greater. Uh, and uh, the likelihood in actually detecting something would uh, have improved significantly. Yeah. Uh, so that's just kind of one example of, of how that kind of works. Uh you mentioned um, the batteries running out. So I, I assume based on, on the reference to batteries that actually um, not only do these autonomous vehicles potentially help us to get better uh, data and, and do better science around uh, the sustainability uh, of our oceans, but also uh, presumably having them out there is doing less damage than a traditional large manned vessel might do as it's ploughing through the water. Yes, your certainly your carbon footprint is is much smaller uh, yeah. when you start to use autonomous systems, and we've seen that across a wide range of autonomy uh, in the marine environment. Certainly, the move to uh, to, to use unmanned surface vehicles now yeah. is uh, is driven by a large part of of, of kind of reducing the uh, the amount of fuel that's uh, that's consumed uh, and the costs around that and certainly the environmental impact of uh, of using larger vessels uh, we see that quite often with people now using you know where you have to do survey lines for example there'll be one vessel out there working but maybe with two or three autonomous vehicles yeah. alongside of it kind of working as uh, as force multipliers completing work much quicker burning less fuel effectively so uh, so, yeah, we're not completely replacing the, the need for research vessels. There'll always be that kind of implicit need to have uh, vessels out in the water working and people out there working as well. But what we can do is substitute many situations where you just don't need that. Yeah. Uh, there are so, so many cases where uh, we can look at it and say, well, actually, an autonomous system can do this. Uh, if we take it out there, we will have less people out at sea, less risk less fuel burns, uh, our costs will be lower. Uh, the kind of rationale that stacks up for, for using autonomy in this uh, in, in this way is kind of 
undeniable, really. It's uh, it's kind of a pretty much a no-brainer. And when they're when they're sent out, I mean, are they quite smart in terms of how they operate, how they respond to their environment, what kind of data they're gathering, or do they need to be kind of specifically programmed to go and get get this particular? Uh, this is your mission, if you like, for today, and then we come back and we do it again and we change the parameters. Uh, yeah, how how kind of how autonomous are they? I suppose is the question really. Yeah, we're we're seeing that evolve actually at the moment. Uh, when we first started developing these vehicles, you literally gave it a mission. Mm. Uh, you defined you must go from here to there, uh, do this at a certain point. Uh, and then come back. That that was kind of the way that you were, you operated these vehicles. What we're seeing now, uh, and this really kind of came after we did an 18-month uh, Innovate UK project just recently. We kind of finished it last year, uh, worked with Newcastle University and also National Oceanography Centre again, uh, developing kind of an AI part to this. So what we enabled these vehicles to do is to operate as a network. So we would have multiple vehicles talking to each other using acoustic modem technology. Oh, right. uh, and they'd actually be able to start localizing themselves relevant to, uh, uh, sorry, relative to each other. Yeah. Uh, so they would take uh, their last known position uh, and then ping that to the other vehicles. The other vehicles would determine the distance that they are from that vehicle and uh, and use some clever maths to uh, to then infer their own position relative to that. Right. Okay. Uh, so you're making sure you are covering a broad area rather than just capturing the same data from the same area. Yeah, exactly. But what that enabled us in turn to do is, if you had vehicles actually sat on the surface, they could be taking their uh, their GPS position and then broadcasting that underwater to the vehicles that are operating down there. Uh, that enabled us to increase the uh, understanding of where that vehicle was massively. We, we got our navigation accuracy down to kind of plus or minus five or 10 meters, which mm. then gives you the scope to actually have a level of situational awareness. All of a sudden, this vehicle understands that it's actually operating in a current. Uh, and although it's dead reckoner, it's kind of thing that, that says I'm pointing in this direction and going at that speed says I should be here. Yeah. It's now able to actually say, hang on a second, I've got some situational awareness here. I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I am being pushed at, I don't know, two knots in, in this direction. Uh, and that's enabling the vehicles to then start making corrections uh, on its own assumptions uh, and starting to, to be able to amend its navigation accordingly. Yeah. Uh, we can embed in the systems already quite clever uh, adaptive sampling so they can respond to certain events and certain information that they can see if there is for example a, a particular feature they're looking for it might be uh, an ocean front or a thermocline uh, they can then respond when they make those measurements and, and understand the, uh, the the data they're looking at uh, and then make decisions on that basis uh, it's not full AI, yeah. uh, but it's certainly a heightened level of situational awareness and the ability to make decisions on the, on the data they're actually seeing. Sure. Uh, so it's largely based at the moment still on, on parameters that we are defining for them. Uh, you know, if you see this, then behave in this way. Uh, but uh, it certainly gives them a, a lot more kind of functionality underwater because once they're underwater, that you know, we're largely kind of, 
uh, unable to talk to them. Uh, right. We use acoustic modems, but they have limited range, you know, kind of a couple of miles limited range. Uh, so uh, so they are pretty much on their own. Uh, there is yeah. no GPS, no Wi-Fi underwater. Right, uh, yeah, of course. They, they really have to get out there and, uh, and figure out what they're doing and, uh, and, and be resilient in that environment. In terms of how they work, I've got a picture in my head, and I'm I am very certain that it's not accurate. So I'm wondering if <laughs> if you can explain something, because what I'm imagining is uh, a tiny submarine going along underwater with sort of little robot arms coming out, holding like a, a sort of a, a little test tube and gathering some water. I'm sure that's not what it's doing. So um, if you could explain to me, a man who knows nothing about this, uh, in terms that I would understand, how how do they actually how do they gather data? What sort of things are they doing? Sure, no worries. So the first part's right. They do look like tiny submarines. Uh, We effectively use a uh, pressure housing, so a a cylinder, sealed cylinder, uh, which is uh, kind of rated to to a certain depth. Our smaller vehicles are 500 metres. Our uh, our slightly larger vehicles, which are about a metre long, are rated to two and a half thousand metres, so they'll be Mm -hmm. two and a half kilometres underwater. they are hydrodynamically designed, so they have a nose section. Uh, looks largely, I mean, they look largely like a torpedo. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the, 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 the principal design. Uh, the nose section, uh, we actually use uh, 3D printing to, uh, to develop these, which allows us to be very flexible with how they're designed so we can accommodate different uh, sensor payloads. So most of the sensors that they carry uh, will be kind of embedded into that nose section. Yeah. Uh, and these sensors will have various uh, form factors. Normally, there's some kind of either optics or electrode-based system, uh, which allows you to, uh, to to capture data. Uh, that will be kind of the, the 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 electrolytes will be inside the vehicle, or they'll be kind of potted and on uh, inside that kind of nose cone. Yeah. Uh, but normally, you would have a very small aspect of that sensor which protrudes from that nose uh, and allows you kind of contact with the water uh, that's surrounding the vehicle. Uh, in the kind of aft section, the, the, the tail, uh, we have a propeller and, and rudder uh, duct. So uh, the actual kind of propeller sits inside a duct. And then there's an, uh, an antenna that uh, projects either from the tail or, uh, or from the, uh, the, the actual body itself. And then once kind of on the surface, that antenna will give us uh, uh, communications via uh, Iridium satellites, uh, the network, uh, Wi-Fi, if you're in kind of 200 metre range of, of the vehicles. Uh, it'll also give us GPS and we have kind of visible flashes and, and also infrared flashes on there as well. So yeah. we can actually kind of find the vehicles quite easily. Uh, whenever they're on the surface, they'll be sending Iridium messages via satellite every kind of five or ten minutes uh, to give us their location. So they'll constantly tell us where they are when they're actually on the water surface itself. Yeah. Uh, obviously, once they dive underwater, there's there's no point in continuing that because the, the message won't go anywhere. Uh, but yeah, the, the the small ones we do, the micro AUVs, are about four kilograms in weight. Uh, Probably about the main body is about 60, 70 centimetres long. Uh, the larger vehicle is 12 kilograms in weight and, and about a metre long. Uh, so they're, they're relatively small. You can hold one in one hand. Uh, wow. Launch and deployment, uh, launch and recovery of these systems uh, is very, very simple. Uh, you can kind of just drop them over the side of, uh, of most structures or vessels and, uh, and they, they kind of then wake themselves up and uh, go off and complete their missions. 
And so they're not they're not obviously taking water samples on board. They are literally sensing uh, the different qualities of the water around them as they move. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're using sensors to uh, to take measurements. Uh, we are looking at some uh, water sample uh, technologies at the moment. It probably won't be to actually collect a volume of water. There, it will be some system for uh, uh, for, for kind of capturing whatever target you're looking for uh, through a water sampling system. If that makes sense. Uh, that's some work in uh, that, that's ongoing at the moment. So we're, we're taking a look at, at that with some colleagues. So even then, pro- probably no little robot arms even even that way. Yeah, no robot arms on these, I'm afraid. They're not very hydrodynamic. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Yes, I can imagine. Yeah, you don't really need uh, little swimming arms either yeah, to push it along. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, we, we, we've, do, we've done lots of work with stakeholders, various people that we've been working through with through the, the different kind of sectors that, that will have kind of user groups uh, and hmm. we've had some ridiculous ideas I mean really crazy stuff uh, really anything you can share kind of... oh we've had somebody that wants to strap wings on the system and <laughs> fly it and then kind of drop itself into water so effectively oh. a hybrid UAV a yeah. UV uh, and somebody that wanted to fire it out of a gun <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have actually been working we, we've done kind of uh, launch uh in fact, University of Southampton has done some work launching these from their uh, fixed-wing UAV. Yeah. Uh, so they've been kind of deployed from about 200 metres uh, in flight and uh, right. parachuted down into the water. So, uh, yeah, lots of lots of collaborative, yeah. lots of collaborative projects that we've kind of been engaged with. Uh, but, yeah, some stuff gets quite crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so Somebody wants to do sediment sampling, so they wanted to drive the nose of the vehicle into the sediment to capture it. Oh, okay. Uh, right up until the point where we, we kind of highlighted that it might be quite difficult to get the vehicle back out yes. then. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely, uh, yeah. That's where that's presumably that's where you need the little robot arms to come out and give it give itself a exactly, push. Exactly, yeah, just to push themselves <laughs> out the mud. <laughs> All right, let's move on from little robot arms then. Um I don't wanna I don't want to take us down that rabbit hole too far. Um Well let, let's um let's touch on why you do this then, um Ian. So obviously you said you, you Went back to Portsmouth, and we'll talk about your uh, your degree and, and your experiences here in a while. Sure. Uh, but you, you went back as a mature student, having been working in in the veterinary science world. Um, so there's a, there's obviously a common thread in your uh, career around the natural environment. Um, what, what motivates you to do what you do? Why does it matter to you to be uh, in your current role developing this kind of work? Okay, so uh, yeah, worked in the veterinary sector for quite. A few years, uh, I hit a point where I was like, you know what, I want to go do something completely different. Uh, and I was in a situation where I could afford to uh, stop work completely and uh, and went off to university. Uh, I really kind of treated that as a three year sabbatical. It was basically a three year holiday. Uh, that's probably not what your audience wants to hear, but it, it was it was very relaxing. Uh, right, having been in kind of uh, relatively intense role up to that point all of a sudden kind of you know doing what a couple of lectures a week or whatever it was it was it, it was good uh and i i loved it I, I chose marine environmental science because before that i was quite keen uh, a diver uh i enjoyed the marine environment uh it was something i felt passionate about it's something totally outside of what i've been doing as well to to, to the greatest extent uh mm. my 
ideal at the time because everybody goes in with with kind of uh, uh, visions of, of what they can see happening in the future was to work in marine conservation. Right. Uh, I'm sure there are quite a few marine environmental science students that uh, that have had that, that kind of sentiment. I think as I, I kind of worked through my, uh, my my three years, it soon became quite clear that actually uh, kind of a serious career uh, in that field where I actually kind of earned an income to support my family and, mm. uh, uh, you know, I guess reality kicked in and uh, and I could see that not really being uh, uh, something that would, would kind of come about. I became quite interested in, uh, through the course that I did in, in kind of carbon-based climate science, uh, looking at carbon footprinting and stuff like that. And that's kind of really where I, I kind of finished university and, and was quite keen to go off and, and work in that kind of climate field, yeah. uh, seeing if we can't decarbonize our, our industries. And uh, yeah, I'd almost kind of left the marine side of, of, of uh behind a little bit to be fair right. uh, and it was only by chance i kind of saw this this advert for, uh, for the job at planet ocean come up and i was just like yeah you know what that's kind of perfect for me uh it, it fitted in so well with my kind of background uh interest that i had but also it gave the opportunity to to work and support uh you know people that were kind of running this this really 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 fundamental kind of important uh contribution to society through uh through a lot of the the, the climate-based science that was uh, going on in the marine sector at mm. the time so uh yeah it uh it, it ticked so many boxes uh you know it drew all my strengths that i knew i had and and where i understood i could kind of work and, and be effective uh but yet it kind of contributed to this thing that was important to me that was uh yeah, larger than anything I could do personally, but uh, but it was a, a piece of that puzzle. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I've been very privileged to work with some of the world's leading scientists. I mean, we don't just work with the UK institutions. We're doing work with Dalhousie University at the moment. Uh, spent time over in, in Scripps in San Diego. Uh, yeah, really, really cool people uh, that do some amazing work. And uh, to be part of that community... Uh, in, in you know, uh, I think I'm quite fortunate in that becoming a, a reasonably uh, well-known part of that community as well. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a, a great privilege to uh, to be able to do what I do. I think it's uh, it's been good. Uh, and yeah, uh, in terms of why it matters to me, yeah, I think we've got some really massive massive challenges going on at the moment. Uh, with the way humans uh, impact the, the, the world we live in, mm. uh, the marine part of our world, you know, the kind of underwater bit is uh, what seventy percent of, uh, of planet Earth. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, a, a really interesting, exciting place to work, and uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoy what I do. Yeah. Now this is a big question. Bit of waffle there. No, sorry. no, no, no. That was that was um, that was great. I, it's, I I love hearing people speak from the heart about why they do what they do. I want to dig in a little bit to um, the impact of the work. You've talked about how important it is, and obviously you've you've given us uh, a sense of how broadly it can be applied. How many different sectors can make use of of the systems uh, and of the platforms that you that you guys work on there. Uh, and obviously, you know, spinning out from that, there are all sorts of uh, impacts that would come from the research of different universities like Portsmouth, for example, obviously with 
doing a, a huge amount at the moment in the field of sustainability and environment. Um, there's a, a big, as there always has been, big focus on uh, the marine environment in particular here, as you'll know from your, your time here. Yeah. Um, so maybe narrowing it down again to uh, the specifics, you know, to where you get involved. Um, how How would you like to see... Uh, your work having an impact on the world? What kind of difference do you feel it will make over time from here? I think from 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 my perspective, uh, enabling people to do more is a really important uh, part of, of where I'm at right now. Mm. Uh, and, and certainly all of the work going on, on, on with EcoSub is, is very much based around that. Uh, you know, we kind of have this uh, notion of, of democratising the AUV uh, instead of a very few select people having access to very expensive technology to uh, to be able to drive down those costs and increase that accessibility. Uh, enable your normal research scientists to go and take a system like this out and, and yeah. go and take their measurements and, and then be able to use that data uh, and for it to, uh, to to make a really important contribution, I think uh, is is what kind of is is where I'm at at the moment. Yeah. You know that that really is kind of my vision. I know, I know we kind of work across lots of different fields uh, in terms of what I am driven by. That's uh, that that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, uh, that's that's my uh, the, the point that makes me tick, I suppose, at the yeah. moment. So essentially, it's it's facilitating uh, people who do research and people who want to to explore and understand more about our seas, enabling them to to go further uh, and to go faster, to find out more, um, yeah, much more easily with less cost involved, uh, with fewer costs to the environment involved in in the process of doing so, um, and yeah. and it sounds like as well with a great deal of flexibility actually that uh, people can Absolutely. really kind of take these systems absolutely. and absolutely we, we do a lot of work at the moment uh with various different sensor manufacturers in terms of being able to expand the amount of parameters that we can or the amount of sensors that we can attach to these vehicles yeah. uh because they do rely on on sensor technology being very small and being relatively low power as well so a lot of time has been spent over the last four years kind of trying to encourage sensor manufacturers to uh, to redesign their existing uh, instrumentation uh, so they can uh, be used by uh, by scientists to expanding the number of parameters that we can effectively go and measure on these vehicles is yeah. important. Uh, it's one thing to make a small, low-cost vehicle. It's another thing to actually uh, to be able to use it properly and, uh, and get the data that people are interested in. Sure. So. That's, uh, that's important. Uh, yeah, doing a lot of work in uh, imaging at the moment, uh, uh, integrating kind of side scan sonar systems into the vehicle, but also camera technology as well. Oh, interesting, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, we just had uh, some colleagues from University of Plymouth go uh, to the Chagos Archipelago uh, with one of our vehicles that they've kind of fitted out with. Uh, they're just using a very basic GoPro, Go, uh, GoPro camera. Mm. Uh, attached to the vehicle uh, to uh, be able to monitor shark foraging uh, off a uh, uh, off, off the actual archipelago itself. So, using the vehicles to uh, to swim out and, uh, and and capture previously unsighted footage of uh, of these sharks hunting. So, uh, yeah, 
it's kind of cool. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, everybody likes a previously unseen shark hunting. I think that's uh... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> want to see that yeah. um, I'm curious I mean you're, you're part of um, a, a large community of Portsmouth marine science graduates over the years uh, have you or do you work with any other Portsmouth alumni um, in, in this role or in previous roles or even current students uh, not directly no uh, I'm in touch with quite a lot of people that, uh, that I was on the, the course with yeah uh, very few of them ended up in in kind of marine uh, related jobs. Uh, oh, interesting. Uh, one of them that works in the cinema at the moment, and uh, yeah, uh, but there are uh, there are a couple of people that uh, that are in kind of related fields. Uh, one of them works actually in the National Oceanography Centre in the the, the sensor development uh, department. So uh, I see uh, see her around quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, I've also stayed in touch with lecturers as well. So uh, Gary Phones and, and Michelle Hale in particular. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gary, I've had quite a lot of contact with, uh, um, predominantly around kind of the Challenger Marine uh, Association that uh, we've both been involved in, uh, supported uh, conferences that he's run on behalf of, of, of Challenger, uh, provided sponsorship and uh, kind of been there to, to exhibit and support them as well. Yeah. Uh, also supported the... Uh, Marine Environmental Science Program uh, Research Project Prize, uh, providing the, the, the prize <laughs> and turning up each uh, each year for graduation to uh, to do the awards. So okay. stay in touch that way. Uh, I've also done uh, a, a few kind of various talks to uh, induction students, uh, yeah. kind of freshers week type talks as well for the, the university. Uh, but yeah, not not too much in terms of of other students uh, from my program. Uh, come across a couple occasionally, but yeah, uh, not uh, not the masses, unfortunately. Does that take you back when you go and do those uh, those induction talks with current students? That take you back to your time here. I imagine it's I imagine it's changed actually quite a lot, even in the ten years since uh, you graduated. Yeah, to be honest, I haven't done any of the induction talks for a few years, right. so. Uh, so yeah, I've not uh, not actually been in the building for uh, for a little while, uh, but yeah, certainly doing the uh, the the, the uh, uh, graduation uh, presentations and stuff. It's uh, yeah, it's good. I, I I do love it. I thoroughly enjoyed my time at university. I really, really, really did enjoy yeah. it. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's been been good to keep in touch. It's been great to stay uh, in contact with Michelle and and Gary in particular. Uh, yeah, and and anything I can do to to support the university, happy to uh, happy to help out where possible. Yeah, you, you uh, it'd be great, and and I hope in in the future we can maybe look to provide some more support to uh, uh, to graduates in in terms of internships. In fact, that's one point actually. I did take on a, a Portsmouth intern. Oh, did you? Ah. <laughs> uh, yes, I did. Uh, yeah, uh, somebody from I think she's the year behind me or something. Right. Uh, she came and joined us for uh, for a while. Uh, was that for a placement we, we, year or or is it? Yeah, we took her on as a, an intern and then actually uh, employed her uh, full time as well after that. So she was with us for a few years. I completely forgot about that. Uh, so yeah, and uh, fact, actually employed another uh, Portsmouth uh, graduate as well. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> it's been, it's, more than I remember. It's been an eventful decade, to be fair, by the sound of things. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned obviously that you'd um, you'd gone into the degree at the time, thinking 
marine conservation was the way for you. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you've sort of, you've sort of branched out obviously in a different um, direction then. Um, yeah. If you can cast your mind back to what thirteen years ago or so, um, do, do you recall what what the reasons were why you chose Portsmouth as the university to do that? So, yes, uh, location principally. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was a mature student. I uh, live in Horndean, so okay. 10 minutes away from yeah. Portsmouth. Uh, yeah, that helps. And, uh, and yeah, had a family. was uh, uh, yeah, was with my wife at the time and uh, had a, a child. Uh, and actually found out my wife was pregnant with uh, our second uh just after I'd been uh, awarded the placement at uh, Portsmouth, so well, yeah, that was an interesting time. Uh, <laughs> yes. But yeah, it was it was predominantly driven by location. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, the, when I got in touch, with, I think it was David Franklin I first got in touch with, uh, having made this kind of decision that I was quite keen to uh, to go to university. Uh, David was very welcoming. Uh, I didn't have any A levels. I, I kind of finished my GCSEs and, and gone off into veterinary nursing uh, uh, and kind of vocational work and, mm. and then obviously uh, pursued my career from there. Uh, but, yeah, David was able to, to kind of take a look at my CV and go, yeah, no, this is fine. This kind of works for us. We can uh, we, we can offer you a place. Yeah, uh, yeah it, was, uh, it was very good. I remember it was quite crazy. It was only a, literally a couple of emails and I got university place. It was, it was quite a strange experience. <laughs> That's excellent. So they, they were able to essentially just take your uh, your experience and map that, map that onto sort of the equivalent of what, a, what an academic qualification might look I, like. I'm guessing they must have done yeah. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it works, whatever. So uh, I'm not sure if that would happen now. Uh, no, I, think, I think there are ways. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're really, as a university course, was very keen not to be... Uh, not to not to be closing doors, but to be opening them. Let's say so. They, they're yeah, always yeah. they're always willing to look at um, experiential equivalents. You know, if somebody is a mature student, for example, what have they actually yeah. done in their life that that's prepared uh, them in you know to an equivalent way that an eighteen year old might be? Were you sort of the only mature student on your course at the time? I know there was a few of us actually. Uh, yeah, a couple of guys a little bit older than me. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose it's funny. I'd look back now, kind of what at forty, and and think twenty eight. It's not that mature, actually. But at the time, it <laughs> felt very mature. I did yeah. feel very old. <laughs> I think. Well, I think that uh, that sort of end of end of that first professional decade is often when people start looking to make a change, though, isn't it? And um, yeah. it's yeah. sort of. I think that 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 first five or six years in the workplace seems like a a hugely long time, and then by the time you do get uh, along to the end of the following decade, yeah, it's all. It's all gone terrifyingly fast, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything about um, the experience? As we've said, obviously you've gone in a in a slightly different direction, but you've ended up you've ended up looping uh, back into marine in some way. Yeah. Is there anything you could put your finger on in terms of how your time at Portsmouth sowed the seeds, or has helped um, in terms of thriving with what with what you're doing today, or helped you to get there? occurs to me that one thing might be just how practical the the, the uh, approach is to uh, learning yeah, at Portsmouth. The, the course I did at Portsmouth, the, the Marine Environmental Science Programme, absolutely underpins everything I do right now. Uh, and it's funny because I, I work with various people, most of which are engineers. Uh, and, uh, yeah, what 
my degree allows me to do is, is apply the kind of marine science uh, aspect to uh, to what we're doing. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm no engineer by any stretch of the imagination, mm. uh, but also those engineers aren't marine scientists either. So yeah. it's a kind of the, the combination of, of, of both of those kind of aspects really works well for us. Uh, yeah. And understanding what it is our customers are, uh, our, our colleagues are actually up to. Uh, yes understanding the research objectives, what's driving them, what they may need, how they may need to work and think. Uh, having spent time out on the water uh, through various fieldwork exercises, uh, yeah, it's it's massive. It, uh, I couldn't imagine doing what I was, what I am doing now without the, the kind of background and support that I, uh, I got from those three years at university. Yeah, uh, yeah fundamental to me really to, to have that, uh, that knowledge. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I, I can't remember a lot of what I actually did at university, but uh, <laughs> somewhere deep down, it's all sunk in. Yeah. When you do think back to it, what uh, what do you think of? Do you sort of picture being out on the uh, on the water there around um, Langston? Yeah, yeah, rocky shore surveys. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was a mix of, of field work uh, plus obviously a lot of classroom time as yeah. well. Uh, but interesting units. I enjoyed a lot of the stuff we did on kind of data analysis, uh, as well as the kind of oceanography aspects and, and marine ecology. Uh, all of it was good, really. There wasn't, uh, you know, we, we did kind of what geology type units as well. At some stage, we did a lot of work on kind of. Uh, the, uh, uh, the kind of climate science stuff and uh, alternative technologies for energy production and things. You know, it's it a very broad uh, yeah. degree program, which uh, yeah, I found uh, very interesting. Uh, some of the stuff I found hard. You know, physics, yes, <laughs> uh, chemistry, <laughs> microbiology. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, managed to somehow scrape her first, so, hey, not <laughs> too bad. Congratulations, yeah, and I bet that all, to some extent, must come in handy now. As you say, talking to your customers, you probably will be yeah. immersed in those kind of things to have uh, to have some understanding of that. Did you, as a young yeah. uh, as a young father or, you know, a mature student but still, still a young man um, and a father, did you get to experience much of the... Uh, traditional student lifestyle or, or uh, did that kind of not, not appeal to you so much, the, uh, that, that particular kind of socialising that goes on outside of the classroom? No, in fact, actually, uh, I, I couldn't do it as much as I would have liked to have done it. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I still spent plenty of time in Route 66, as it was. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, definitely. Snake bites down in the Union. Uh, in the good old days when the union was still there, uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I enjoyed a lot of that actually. It was yeah, one of the strongest parts of the, the actual time I spent at university was the friendships I built with uh, with a whole range of different people. Uh, yeah, some of my best friends still now uh, are from my uni days. So uh, yeah, very uh, very happy to have spent that time. Uh, sleeping on the floor of uh, people's skanky, rat-infested student houses. It's uh, all character building. Absolutely. Well, well that's, a, that's a lovely note to end it on, I think, from uh, <laughs> sleeping on the floor of student digs to uh, <laughs> being at the forefront of uh, autonomous underwater vehicles and uh, 
taking uh, scientific endeavour further and deeper than it's ever gone before. That's lovely. Thanks so much for your time, Ian. I really appreciate you uh, on the call. Thank you. It was great to hear the impact Ian's work could have on research. Making equipment more affordable for an array of scientists could potentially lead to much cleaner oceans. Thanks for listening to this episode of Making Waves. You can find more inspiring interviews with University of Portsmouth alumni by subscribing to this series on your podcast app. And if you'd like to get involved and make some waves of your own, let us know by emailing alumni at port.ac.uk or click on alumni from the Portsmouth homepage.